we are uh, doing a, a series right now uh, talking about what it means to be a part of the Grove and what Jesus is doing in our lives and how we align ourselves around that. Uh, and so today we're going to be talking about what it means to live for, for God, to live for Jesus, because we think we are called to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus, uh, and to lead the way, the way Jesus led the way. Before uh, we get into the Bible and stuff like that, today after church, uh, or if you're here for the first time, that would be a surprise for you, but if uh, uh, today after church, we are having our kind of annual congregational meeting. And it's usually way up in January, but our church has been having some conversations with another church in town about uh, joining forces and kind of combining, if you've ever even imagined that. We didn't imagine that until we started having this conversation, and so God's been doing some cool things. At today's congregational meeting, we're not having a vote on that. Uh, We are actually having a time where we have some election things that are happening as far as boards and committees uh, behind the scenes that make our church uh, function healthily, uh, but then we also uh, will be having like a lot of question and answer time and give you some uh, timelines and those kinds of things. We can let you know what's happening uh, and uh, the dates that we've kind of proposed out there and uh, where that's all going to go and, uh, you know, those kinds of things. If you are here last week, if last week was your first week, uh, that we actually had a whole other church here, that other church that we're talking about joining forces with, uh, visited us last week. Uh, and they all left, right? So it was probably our worst, uh, you know, return guest Sunday ever this Sunday. <laughs> so, uh, but we actually had a really great time. I wanted to just m- make mention of that because I feel like uh, even outside of having all those guests last week, we had people um, texting me and emailing me just saying it was a great, great Sunday last week. And uh, it just is uh, people uh, in line and, and as a church community, we showed up and we all had an expectation that this is going to be a great Sunday, you know. And today there's a different expectation, like I'm going to survive, uh, <laughs> you know. But my son got home last night at three. I'm not sure which three, uh, but uh, and then my daughter had a soccer game in Salem this morning, so we got up at six. So this is going to be awesome. If I fall asleep in the middle of the sermon, just continue without me, and uh, that's I won't. Uh, but uh, I'll need your energy, and I'll give you energy, and we'll work together and just caffeine our way through the day. Um, so uh, there is a, uh, getting back to the Bible. So that's happening right after church. Oh, yeah, I need to say this. So that's not happening until everything's done, though. Like, we're going to meet on the cafeteria tables that we set up at the end and stuff like that. So if you're kicking around and you're not uh, able to help with uh, some of the teardown things and stuff, don't worry. They'll, we uh, take the chairs down, we sweep, and then we set the tables up, and then there'll be a spot for you to uh, hang out. But if you are able to help out, you can just ask someone who looks like they know what they're doing and just do things. Uh, and most of the things that we do, you know, they're helpful. So this is also, so you know, my favorite Sunday of the year because people walk in towards the end of my sermon and they secretly act disappointed. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I missed it. Okay, yeah, right. So you, you would be Catholic if you knew the services were 15 minutes. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Let's talk about what it means to live for Jesus. <laughs> a lot of us grow up, uh, and you grow up in a church culture that really emphasizes saying a prayer at some point. And a saying a prayer, and if you grew up in a certain kind of church, it's called the sinner's prayer. 
And uh, sometimes theologically, we think that's the only prayer that God can hear from a sinner, uh, from a person who's far from God. And that prayer is like, God, uh, forgive me for my sin, and I put my full faith and trust in you. And that's the beginning of what it means to be a Christian. And there's a viewpoint that says, like, what's important is getting that person converted, uh, converted or changed direction from going to hell to going to heaven. We just need them to say this prayer and then we're good. And then we have like uh, uh, little cue cards and stuff like that. And then we have, uh, not cue cards, uh, like commitment cards uh, that we're able to fill in. And we stack those up and we have statistics of how many people said a prayer so they're converted. Uh, we, in our denomination, actually follow a, a tradition that says that conversion is actually a start, not a finish. Uh, when people commit to Jesus, they're actually committing to start the race. Uh, they're actually walking up to the starting line. They're not running through a finish line where now you're done. Uh, there's kind of a viewpoint that if you say the prayer, then God's obligated to let you in, right? Like as if Jesus came to earth to create converts, which is kind of like the end of the video that talked about consumers versus disciples. I think uh, there's that tension where we actually see Jesus calling people to be disciples. Follow me. Live the way I lived. Love the way I loved. Lead the way I led. And so when we actually, when we talk about Jesus and talking about committing your life to Jesus, we actually believe that it's the beginning of the most uh, exciting, positive, happy, joyous life that will also be dangerous, difficult, uh, like strewn with hardships uh, that you've ever experienced. It's, Jesus actually says it this way, that like, we're, he's calling you to life to the full. And not necessarily in a self-helpy kind of way. It isn't like, oh, I committed to Jesus, now everything's going to be awesome. When the Apostle Paul became a Christian in the book of Acts, uh, God actually told someone else to go talk to Paul, and they were like, no thanks, and he's like, please, because I need Paul to understand how much he must suffer for my name. It was like the calling of Paul is to suffer for the name of Jesus. So we're not saying that it's going to be the easiest life or some kind of cake life, but it's going to be the best life that you could possibly imagine, this living for Jesus. But it's essential that you actually make those commitments to Jesus in the beginning. Nobody ever follows Jesus, really, or commits their life to Jesus by accident. It's a supernatural thing that happens. It's not just a natural wandering into, uh, like you don't wander into being a marathon runner or being an elite athlete or being an elite musician. You don't wander into that. You actually make decisions uh, in order to have greatness in your life. So when the church first started, it was kind of a crazy thing that happened. Jesus died and rose again, talked to his disciples a bunch, and then he left, kind of semi-permanently. He's coming back someday, and that's going to be a trip. But uh, when he kind of left, the disciples didn't know what to do. And so they spent a lot of time hanging out. And then one day, there was this grand moment where the Holy Spirit came in a particularly powerful way, and the people started, it was at the time when there was a whole bunch of out-of-town visitors in Jerusalem where they were hanging out, and they went out and started speaking in the languages that they didn't themselves know. They were all like Israelite Jewish people from the area, and they started speaking in languages of people who were from far away. And so people were like, oh, snap, what's going on? It looks like there's a bunch of drunk people running around, let's check it out, right? Uh, that was the church's first like evangelism strategy. 
Like, uh, act like we're all drunk and people will come in just to hear what's going on. Uh, we don't do that anymore. I'm not saying we should. I'm just like, you're thinking like, okay. So, um, so they're acting like that. The crowd gathers and Peter stands up. And Peter was the disciple that became the leader. And it's not like they said, who would be the best leader? It was like, oh, he's the leader. Like, because Peter was the guy who, when there was a group, he was the leader. Does that make sense? Even though some people were following out of like curiosity or like how bad is this going to get or uh, I know this is going to make a great YouTube video so let's follow this guy uh, like a, a fail video. So Peter stands up and he gives a sermon and the point of his sermon is you dummies killed Jesus. Uh, and it, it really is if you read through it. Uh, it's been used uh, some wrong ways but his thing was hey Jesus is here we really screwed up and y'all killed him. Uh, and the people are like, ah, oh, snap, we did, dang it, right? Uh, and so then Peter uh, tells them, well, I have got a, this is the, from Acts, the book of Acts. With many other words, Peter is the he, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And then those who accepted, this is sermon number one. Then those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Let me tell you how disappointing sermon number two was. <laughs> because when, like when sermon number one is 3,000 people join your cause, sermon number two is always a letdown, right? By sermon 10, they were like, maybe we need to move on from Peter, right? Like Peter's saying the same things. You dummies killed Jesus. We get it, right? Like, uh, so sermon number one just kills as far as 3,000 people become Christians. And so there's this group of around 3,000 plus some uh, who are OGs who are following Jesus. And then Acts Chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, talks about what the very, very early church did. Uh, I'm going to read it. Can you go back to that? All right. Can we go back one more? I have a whole bunch of verses, so I'm just going to read off the screen, but I do have a Bible here, and I actually read it, but uh, I read the one on my app a lot more. Um, they devoted themselves. This is what the early church did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders that were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. This is their physical stuff. They sold property and possessions so they could give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. And this is just the ones who stayed in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, they broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So the very early church worships together. They meet together as frequently as they can. They grow in the teaching of their leaders. Uh, they're inviting other people to be a part of what's going on. And they make sure other people's needs are taken care of. They serve each other and they give to each other in kind of a common understanding that we're in this together. And you could imagine what it's like to be in a brand new movement that's very exciting. Everything that's happening is happening for the first time. They're meeting in the temple courts, which is kind of the headquarters of the Jew Jewish faith. The, uh, like the, that was the religious faith of all the people. And they're meeting there and having these conversations that is taking what they know and going on a very strange turn that they've never imagined before. But the church is for Jesus the church is for each other, and the church is uh, for the people who um, aren't a part of the church. 
And so people are being added to their number daily, and people look upon them favorably because of the way that they're living and growing. But this growth was happening, and I, let me say this. This is descriptive. This isn't prescriptive. So a lot of churches you'll hear, we're getting back to being an Acts 2 church. And I go to the verse to say, y'all are like socialists and bringing all your property together? So like how many lawnmowers does your church own? Because that's ridiculous, right? <laughs> like that's, uh, in the very early church, they only had one or two lawnmowers and they would just share them around, right? They didn't have any lawnmowers. They all lived under poverty. But, uh, and grass as a general concept is stupid. But um, they, they sold stuff. They didn't, weren't forced to. They chose to enter into which we as a you know, capitalistic democracy look at and say, we're not, we don't want this, we don't want this, but they chose to move into this so that they could take care of each other because they saw it as the best way to take care of each other in their culture. And so I don't think that we need to automatically, oh, let's do what they did. What this is saying is, this is what they did. And our responsibility is actually to figure out how does a church live today? How does a church live in, in this place? Because the church in, in, a, like in communist China has to behave differently than the church in first century uh, Israel, than the church in the western United States, than the church in South America, than the church in a place, all sorts of different places. And so we figure out the behaviors that cause us to have the results that the early, early church had, but we don't just try to mirror the methods. I hope that makes sense. What we've done is kind of said, if, like, conversion matters, but if it's a starting line, then what does running the race look like? And so we've actually spent time, leadership groups at the Grove have spent time saying, what are people doing if they're growing in their faith? What are people doing if they're growing in their faith? And this assumes that they have a faith. Because some of us in the room, there's not like a faith like check at the door. We don't bounce out people that aren't committed to Jesus. Like we welcome people who are exploring this on a journey with us. And so there's, in, if you're going to grow spiritually, it assumes a commitment to Christ. It assumes a conversion. If you're reading your Bible, the Bible uses big words sometimes, and Jesus actually uses the word like born again. Uh, but then this part, the growing in, is sometimes called spiritual growth. Other places in the Bible call it sanctification, which sounds like a, a good metal band. Uh, but sanctification is, is this commitment uh, that is being, uh, it's kind of a separation from unholy things that's happening to you. It's not something you're doing. It's something Christ is doing in you, where you're removing are moving further away from the things that aren't holy and moving closer and closer to the things that are holy. But it's not because you work harder. It's not because you sin less or do something. Those are all kind of byproducts of this thing that Jesus is doing in you. And so when we talk about these behaviors, we've got four behaviors that we're going to talk about. It's kind of referring to this is what people are doing when people are growing here at the Grove. It's what we see. And so we think this might be something uh, that God is doing in our lives. So I'm going to talk about these four. And I normally tell stories in my sermon, but today I'm going to have like point one, point two, point three, point four. It's going to be very exciting for like the organized people who are like, 
uh, I don't know where James is going, and, and that kind of, like, you know where I'm going, so, and I have to, like, look at my clock, because point four is the longest one, if you've never listened to a sermon, one, two, and three are a joke, four goes on forever, right, because you're, like, thinking lunch, but uh, it's going to be a long one, like, four is going to be a long one, all right, number one, people who are growing spiritually at this church are active in the life of the church, that's number one, if you take notes, you can do that, uh, uh, active in the life of the church. And what that means is they're doing things that the church is doing. Uh, they're actually showing up to things that the, that the church runs. They're, let me say this, they show up on Sundays. Uh, they uh, actually commit and volunteer. They're a part of what's going on at the Grove. When someone asks them, what's the Grove doing? They know what the Grove is doing because they're active in the life of the church. They like it. They're down with what God is doing in our midst. There's actually a scripture in Hebrews. I'm going to put it on the screen here. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 says this. Says, Let us hold unswervingly, which is an awesome word, to unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised, which is Jesus, he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards uh, love and good deeds and not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. This is like a key point, that by being active in the life of the church, it actually holds you to the faith that you profess. You can be a Christian and not go to church, but according to the scripture, not for very long. Like it's, it's like choosing uh, to do things the more difficult way. Is choosing to run the race when you're allowed to have partners, you're allowed to have support, and you're choosing not to. Plus, the other Christians, the church is depending on you to show up and be encouraging. It's such a strange thing to think, but when we see, uh, when we, okay, I'm just to tell you, when I see a person's uh, being less active in the life of the church, it frequently follows that their spiritual life becomes less active as well. And it frequently follows that their faith becomes less vibrant and then becomes desolate and then becomes absent. And there's a pattern that you can watch. And so it's like this, I know I'm kind of preaching the choir because you're here, but what I want you to know is it matters that you showed up. And I'm not saying the other people that aren't here are less spiritual than you, but I could see how you could feel that way. You don't get bonus points for going to church. You don't go to heaven and God checks your like, how many gold stars did you get on your attendance chart? There's no perfect attendance award, which is the worst award to get. There's nothing like that. But there is saying, you know what? This is who I want to be. And the way to get to who I want to be is by helping other people get to where they're trying to be as well. And so I'm going to gather together in the church when the church gets together, I'm going to be there because there's people there who believe their role is to encourage me and my role is to encourage them. And I don't know what's encouraging about me showing up, but listen, you showing up encourages other people. It does. Like you might not even be good at encouraging. I'm not good at encouraging. But you showing up and saying this matters, there are people every single Sunday who are wondering, does this matter? And you show up and say it matters, 
and they can believe for another week this matters. And you spur them on to love and good deeds. Number two, people who are <laughs> growing here uh, care for our church through serving. It's what they do. I've actually talked to people uh, who get, like, especially when our church first started, most churches operate where 20% of people do 80% of the work. And we thought, what if we had like 80% of our people having roles? And even when we're talking about this joining forces with the other church, because they, they have a property, uh, they have like a, a facility space, we're actually worried as leaders of how we're going to maintain high levels of volunteering. Because we have set up and tear down teams and all these things that are going on, and so we might still do that. <laughs> Yes? No? <laughs> but we, being a part of what's going on is so key to who we are. And it's not just, I don't think, leaders, it's people. They're like, who we are as a church is being in a space that we don't own and setting up the most uncomfortable chairs that we could design and just being a part of something that we're loading in and loading out every week because I have a place here and a role. I have a friend that planted a church, and it, uh, it was... Uh, uh, struggling compared to ours, and they got a facility, and they had only two families on their setup and teardown team, and when they got a facility, those two families left. They said, well, there's no one, you don't need us anymore. So if you're setting up and tearing down, we'll let you continue to do that. <laughs> there's actually two rooms at the church. There's a big room downstairs, and we can just set tables up and chairs for no reason, right? <laughs> just, if you're ever in the military, it's when you're digging a hole and then filling it in, right? And you're like, it keeps you out of trouble. I appreciated that. But um, this serving the church actually matters. Now, there's kind of, in my mind, two categories of serving. There's serving in the church, and there's serving outside of the church, both of which are important. But serving in the church is unique, and I'm going to share a scripture with you. This is from the Gospel of John. So this is something Jesus actually said, where Jesus told people, I give a new command I give you, uh, which commands for the people he was speaking to was what it was all about. Tell me how to follow God. Give me the commands. And here's Jesus' command. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Well, thanks, Jesus. That's easy. I don't know if you met the one another here. And then he says this. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The love that the church has for the church is the sign for the world that Jesus owns us, that we're followers of Jesus. Not how active the church is in the community, not how beautiful the grounds are, not how good the band is, it's how much the church loves each other. Just like the first thing that we're focused on is loving each other. The problem is some churches think that's the only thing. And then they forget that there's a world out there. But when the church doesn't love each other, it's over already. You've seen this even just in families. If you grew up in a family that didn't have a lot of love for each other and that was your experience, when you went over to your friend's house and they loved each other, it was so weird. But for some reason you wanted to go back there. Right? And you were like, I don't know what's going on in your family, but that doesn't happen at my house. And so I want to hang out at this house. It's this weird thing where when people love each other, people want to be around that. And what it is, is I think that people want to be around Jesus. So we care for our church by serving. 
And we serve because we love our, the people in our church. So by definition, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you are loved by everyone else here who's a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, biblically you're not a part of the church yet, we can fix that, you just need to follow Jesus. You're welcome to be a part of what like, our culture calls church. Our culture calls this church, but according to the scripture, the church is the gathering of the believers uh, who are following Jesus. Third, people who are growing spiritually respond to what God has done in their life generously by giving. And I'm talking about money. It's always about the money. <laughs> it's kind of an awkward thing, and a lot of pastors like me don't want to talk about it, right? But the reality is things, uh, things operate by money. And, and giving is actually a thing that changes your life. I actually have two verses that I want to share, and I'm just going to talk through this. This is the first one, 1 Timothy 6, which is kind of a book about how to be a leader in the early church. It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say the money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money. So the affection of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people who are eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. What it's saying is, Money is a thing that can distract you and pull you away from the faith, and then it's going to make your life worse. It, and that doesn't have to be a lot of money. I've seen people leave the faith for money that it's not that much money. I've seen people leave the faith for lots and lots of money, or they make compromising decisions, and then the, that ruins their relationship with Jesus, and then they can't stand to be around Jesus because they're unrepentant of their sin. But that love of money will infect you and harm you. It's not that God or Jesus doesn't want you to have money. Money's just a thing, or money's just an, like an operating system. But when you're so committed to that operating system, then you actually have a difficult time being committed to Jesus. Your life will be worse, not better. Uh, this is what the next, uh, Acts 20, which is the story of the very early church, the book of Acts, uh, there's this thing, this quote of Jesus. And everything I did, I showed you that by the, this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words that the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. So when we do offering, this is going to trip you out. It's actually an opportunity for you to be blessed. Isn't that a strange thing? Doesn't this sound like I'm a prosperity preacher here? Like, so we're going to do offering again right now. <laughs> we're not, we're not. <laughs> but it is a strange thing, and I know some people take this to weird places and say, so give more money and you're more this and stuff like that. What I think is that, in, that money is this thing that desires your affection, and when you have a generous outlook on the world and not a tight hold on your money, God actually, that is the blessing. The blessing is in the giving. Because the reason you... Really, think about it. The reason you have money is so that you can have the things that you want most to happen, happen. Right? Like you really want to eat food. And so money is a thing that helps that happen. And you want to move around from place to place in a car or a, or a horse. <laughs> money is the thing that makes that happen. But you also want, like, global poverty to stop. You also want really great educational systems for young and vulnerable populations. You also want some sort of justice in the world. Money is a thing that you can use to make those things happen. 
So when I've talked to my kids about their money as they're starting to have money, I've said we give some to the church, which imagine the, like the flack you feel when, imagine your dad is saying you have to give money to your dad. Like we're going to put a 10% tax on everything you make so I can have it. <laughs> right? <laughs> like how every day is Halloween, you know? But <laughs> imagine the way that feels. But what I've said is, what do you want most in the world? And an immature answer is a skateboard, right? An immature answer is, I want a thing. And that's a temptation that all of us face, right? Our things just change. You don't want a skateboard anymore. You want some kind of something else. But this, when we're able to do the, when we have resources, God's given us an opportunity to receive blessing because we're blessed to be able to do the things that we want to see happen most in the world. Giving, this is strange, and I'm not like into the prosperity gospel where, you know, if you're following Jesus, you're going to have a newer car than someone who isn't following Jesus. I don't think the Bible teaches that. But giving is a thing that God created for you to enjoy. And if, like seriously, if you find it offensive, give your money to another church or give your money to something else. I don't care. And tell me you're not blessed in seeing your money do the thing that you want it to do most in the world. It's cool. And when you have resources, and seriously, if you live here in the United States and you ride in a car, one-eighth of the population of the planet has cars, right? Like three out of the four people in my family have cars. And so we are living among the most rich people in the history of the world, which means God's given us the opportunity for an incredible amount of blessing because we're able to affect change in a way that other people who are under-resourced under can't. A person in a part of the world that doesn't have the resources that you do, just like the poorest person in our culture is rich compared to many other parts of the world. And they do not have the resources for things like justice and peace and, and a hope for a better future or educating uh, minority, uh, not minor, uh, vulnerable populations. They don't have the resources to achieve some of the dreams that they have that you have as well. And so it's a blessing for you to be able to do those things. Fourth, this is the last one. It's going to take forever. It's not really. <laughs> the thing that we see people doing uh, when they're following Jesus. We see them being active in the life of the church. We see them serving because they care. We see them responding to God's generosity with their own generosity. And the fourth thing is we see them inviting others into uh, life with God. We see people inviting other people to be a part of this grand thing that God is doing. You know who doesn't invite people to church? People who don't feel like God is doing something awesome. People are like, yeah, there's God, and we're doing this thing. This is why most of the time, people who are new to the faith invite people to church or invite people into faith significantly more than people who have been following God for a long time, just on average, because they have this excitement with what they're doing. It's also, let me tell you this, this is like real stats. A person who reads their scripture four times a week or more is 256% more likely to invite someone into life with Jesus. And so as you start to take God for granted, what do you do? You read your scripture less. Why? Because you already know everything God wants from you. You just don't want to be reminded of it. It's like when you've been married a long time, you're like, I know my commitments, I just don't want to be around you. 
That's your relationship with God if you don't read the scripture. I'm not saying you have a bad relationship with God, but you do. If you read your scripture, your passion for life with God grows, and then your passion pours out onto the people around you, and you can't help but invite them. You can't help but say, you will not believe what God is doing in my life. You need to come and see this thing, which happens over and over and over in the scripture. I want to actually have a really incredible example of this. Uh, where's Aaron at? You want to come up for a second? Uh, Aaron took a Sunday of vacation a few weeks ago. Oh, you didn't take a Sunday off? You could have. Uh, so you were away during the week. So why don't you tell everyone what you, where you went, and then we'll show them a clip okay, of what yeah, happened. Yeah, so it was for my uh, that dad's 65th birthday, and we flew down to L.A., and we went to um, The Price is Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and some of you have seen it, but some of you haven't. And Aaron actually had to keep it all a secret for weeks and weeks, so we thought we were friends with him, but now we're unsure what other secrets does he have. Uh, but we're going to show you a clip of this, and then we want to talk about something that happened. So here we go. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Mark, start with you. We had the VR package, the augmented reality package, sorry, not the VR package, augmented reality package, a trip to the Galapagos Islands on a Nissan Sentra. We bid $26,600, actual retail price. Twenty-eight thousand eight hundred fifty. Difference of two thousand two fifty. Aaron, amazing game room in your showcase. Trip to Cozumel and a trip to Thailand. You bid twenty-five thousand and five dollars. Actual retail price twenty-five thousand two seventy-four. Difference of two sixty-nine. Aaron, congratulations. Look at that, two hundred sixty-nine dollars. You know, if you were within 250, you would both showcase it. So he's very close. You would have made it 50 bucks. <laughs> Something like that. But he won $27,474 for the prize. It's good for him. Thanks for watching the show, folks. Always a blessing when you tune in. Please get your pets spayed and neutered. Help control the pet population. And we'll see you next time on The Price is Right. Bye-bye. George Gray speaking for The Price is Right. Thanks for watching the show, folks. Always a blessing. Very close. You would have made it 50 bucks. <laughs> this, just for a second. We have a question. Who's that guy? <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, as you can see, uh, me and my mom and dad all have matching shirts, and this guy does it. Um, <laughs> When you walk into The Price is Right, they ask you, like, how many people are in your group? And we said three. So we got sat in this row, and there was one seat on the aisle. All of a sudden, uh, this guy named Thomas uh, sat down next to us. And so automatically, you become best friends. And um, as I was up there, he was talking with my dad, and they were, like, super excited. And, uh, and I kept winning and kept going on. It was super awesome. And so um, as I'm up there, and they're like, hey, where's your family at if you win? Uh, they'll get a cup on stage. And I was like, oh, they're right here. And they go over there. And uh, my dad says, uh, like, yeah, okay, that's cool. And he says, yeah, this guy is our uncle, Uncle Thomas. <laughs> right? And so, and so um, 
so they ask him, they say, okay, you guys can come up if he wins. And he's like, if Aaron wins, come on, he's winning, okay? And so, uh, so we run, the, I win, and I'm going crazy, and I run up there and uh, give my dad a hug. And as I'm hugging him, he says, this is our Uncle Thomas. And I turn, <laughs> I give my mom a hug, and I give Uncle Thomas a hug. And then, uh, yeah, so he's super excited. He said, he's like, we don't know who this guy is. We didn't get his phone number. We have no clue. I try, I, you can't just Google, like, Thomas from Boston, okay? It doesn't come up. Uh, yeah, and it was awesome. He said it was the best day of his life, so that was so cool. Thanks, that's good. It's kind of hilarious, but it's also exactly what happens, I thought, when I watched, I watched the whole thing and I, and I was preparing for this, and I was like, that moment, because I texted Aaron, and I was like, who's this person I don't know? And in that moment, it, he told me the story, and I'm like, that's exactly like what we're talking about. It was like, hey, we've got this incredible thing going on. I have no idea who you are or what you want in life, but that's going to be awesome. Do you want to come with us? And then some random guy. Now, they didn't do a good job of, like, discipleship. Like, they didn't have a long-term relationship. <laughs> But when the, the Thomas guy says, this is the best day of my life, when you invite someone into life with Jesus and they end up giving their life to Jesus, they will say for all eternity, the best thing that ever happened to me was this person thought I was worth inviting up on the stage with them. Every one of you have a person like that. If you're a follower of Jesus, someone said, hey, this thing is awesome and you won't know what you're getting yourself into, like we don't know what's going to happen, but we're probably going to be a lot of jumping, loud music, and excitement, and everyone will have matching shirts but you, but don't worry. <laughs> it's these moments that happen that we're allowed to invite people into. And this is kind of a comical example, and yeah, I know, that's kind of hilarious, and I know after church everyone's going to be like, hey, Aaron, I'm free a lot, you know, like I have a lot of open time, you know, because you want those trips, like, I can take vacation if you need, you know, I really love, what did they say, Tyler? whatever they said, I love that place. But there is this, uh, like, it is this example of what it is to say to someone, I don't, like, hey, do you want to come with us? Uh, the, the Bible, actually, Jesus taught in, in Matthew 5, it taught it this way, he said, you, and he's talking to the people who are followers of God, you are the salt of the earth. Uh, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled, you know, melt the ice kind of crap. If you are light of the world, he couldn't say that there in Israel, but if you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on the stand and gives light to everyone in the house. So in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are, according to Jesus, the salt and the light in the world. You are, like our world, our culture depends on the people who are followers of God to be the ones that bring out the flavor in the world, to be the ones who shine a light on the beauty in the world. Because for some reason, people want things that taste good. People want to see things that are beautiful. And the role that God gave the church is to invite others to the view that they have. And you'll have these little moments and you'll have your own space, like not all of you are gonna be going up on stage, but you're gonna have these moments where 
you're like, God is doing something cool here. Do you want to come with me? Do you want to see something awesome? Do you want to, like, taste and see that the Lord is actually fantastic? And you can't force people into conversion. You can't force people to follow Jesus. But you can live in such a way that it's an inviting uh, life, that, it's an, that you're going into things that other people want to be a part of. If you're hoping for, I'm going to convert, and then I'm just going to like behave good enough and have more good things than bad things and get to the end, and hopefully I just want to skip into heaven because hell sounds bad, hell doesn't, heaven doesn't sound that good, but I just kind of want to, you know, whatever. You'll struggle here. Because we believe that God's called you to something great. We believe that God's put dreams and hopes and desires and plans in your heart. We believe that God has prepared good works for you to do in advance. For you, like for you to do in advance. And we believe that when you do that and when you move forward on that journey, your spiritual growth causes others to want to be a part of this great thing that God is doing. It's kind of like I'm asking you, like, I'm, if you aren't a follower of Jesus, it'd be great if you became a follower of Jesus today. Most of this sermon had nothing to do with you if you don't have any interest in God, which I understand, and that's fine. I'm not saying you have to, but if you're making that commitment, what we're talking about is we don't want to just stay there. Okay, I'm here. I'm going to wear a groove in this pew until I, like, oh, we don't, I wear a groove in this chair until, until the Lord returns, and then I'm in, and I don't have to worry. I just have to behave and I'm in. And we're saying there's this whole wide open space that we want to invite you to live into. And the way to live into that is made plain when we live like Jesus lived. <laughs> Let me pray for us. Let's stand and I'll pray for us. God, I want to ask today for those of us who need to take steps in life, who need to be active, who need to serve, who need to give, who need to be inviting. I want to ask that you would move in our lives in such a way that cause us to be able to grow in these areas. We all want to be closer to you. And we have that desire because you put it in us. You created us to be that way. So we want to ask, Lord, that you would take away anything that's keeping us from growing in you. Free us from anything that's dragging us down. And then equip us with every good and spiritual gift that we need in order to be the person that you dream of us being. In order to do the good deeds that will cause people, both followers of God and unbelievers, to glorify the Lord. In these moments, may you move in our hearts in a meaningful way that we be able to take practical steps to say, Lord, this is who I want to be Lead me in that path. By your grace, we pray that today.